Well, hello everybody and welcome to the podcast. What's up, y'all? It's snowing. It is. Not when you're listening. Well, maybe we don't know where you are, where you're listening from, what time you're listening. There's actually a lot of space-time continuum issues with the podcast broadcast. It's because our flux capacitor is broken. Dude, we're, we, you guys, welcome to the podcast. So, I'm Father Peter Musk. I'm Scott Powell. <laughs> I'm in a weird space this morning, everybody. <laughs> and uh, and I'm not. I, I mean, I'm, no, you're doing great. You're yeah. really, uh, you're really fielding all my weirdness, pretty, pretty champion like. What happened is last night, um, I didn't get much sleep because, um, do you ever have this moment where you're like going to bed and you get an idea in your head? Oh yeah. And I started. I'm think- sure they're very different ideas than what you get in your head, but yes, I know the concept. And I start. I thought about this YouTube channel called uh, Tetcobas. Alcohol stove research and development, and okay. Ted Koba is this is this Japanese guy who. Sorry, did you say you thought of it? You yeah, thought yeah. of that title just now? No, no, no. I just thought of Ted Koba. I thought of oh, okay. I thought of alcohol stoves, and um. You thought of what? Alco- oh, 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 like alcohol the little stoves. butane things. Yeah, yeah, but he makes them yeah. out of pop cans. Yeah, you showed me that video once. You actually showed everybody at a party once. Yeah, it was a wild night. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, do you remember that? I do. This, that's how I roll, y'all. Yeah. And so I stayed up till like two in the morning. Like going through R and D on on Ted Koba's latest uh, design solutions really? for um, pop can made alcohol stoves. Wow! So it's it's growing. Is he evolving? He is evolving, man. Good he well, him. he's actually really refined down to this one that that you can build. That's really pretty sweet. Wow! Well, I want to build it with you, dude. You got it. I I will I will uh, embrace that. Thanks, man. Well, y'all, we are going to be going into this uh, January fourth is going to be the solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord. Epiphany. Is there any Epiphany songs? Is there an Epiphany song we can sing? We three kings of Orientar. Driving here in our new car. <laughs> I don't know the words, but that doesn't stop me at all. Good. That was good. Thanks. Good work. So, yeah, the Epiphany, everyone. So, also known as the Feast of Three Kings. Wait. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah. is also called, uh, it has been traditionally sometimes called the Feast of Three Kings. Yeah, yeah. Not the Feast of Three Kings, but sometimes people just call it Three Kings. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and don't we? Eat king- They're not really kings. Yeah, and 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 you don't eat king They're cake. That's mm, that's for uh, Pentagon. <laughs> no, <laughs> what is it for? Well, I don't know. Somebody's shouting right now. Uh, it's for that one. Uh, Mardi Gras. Mardi, Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. That's Mardi Gras. What it is. King cakes freak me out. Dude, that's creepy to put a baby in a cake. I asked somebody. What if I accidentally to- eat the baby and choke on him? I asked somebody to give me a, like a like a bag full of of babies <laughs> so that Why? I could so that I could cook them in various things because I, I, I just don't wanted like because like, it's very lucky to get the king cake. Yeah, baby. I'd, well, it's not luck <laughs> if you just order a bag of them. <laughs> I'm like, I got it! Yay! <laughs> Ridiculous. As as you're eating, of course, yeah, really, you could choke. You don't feed it to children. I'm afraid of king cakes. Anyway. I'm afraid of dolls and babies and things, period. Dude, especially the creepy ones that have like the half open eyes that as you tilt them back and forth, <laughs> those are the creepiest ones and the best ones. I mean, did, did you see Toy Story 3? No, I'm not prepared for it. Dude, there's one baby in there who's got a lazy eye, dude. It's like the best. <laughs> and it's really creepy. He's the muscle, dude. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll be ready for that. Well, our first reading today, what are we, what are we reading from? Our first reading is coming from the book of... Drum roll, please. 
Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Isaiah. Isaiah Yay! 60. I, I mean, there's a reason so many of our first readings come from Isaiah. It's a pretty important book. Dude, I really think that I want to study the whole book of Isaiah as a whole. I think it's, it would be really important for the liturgical year. It's the worst. Oh, no, no. no, I'm sorry. I, I, like this is no in... disrespect to our holy scriptures. It is the worst book to study, I think. <laughs> I do. I think it's the worst because it's constantly jumping around in time frame. It changes where you I, talk about space time continuum. You don't know if Isaiah is talking about the present time or the future time or something that happened in the past. It's not terribly linear. It jumps all over the place. It's I think it is literally one of the hardest books to study in a linear way. You can go through it and kind of, you know, find vignettes and, and kind of try to place them. But, man, it's a, it is a hard book to teach. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that. I'll leave that be. Okay, good, good news. But, but it's one of the most, it may be the most important book in the Old Testament. Maybe. 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 I mean, do you think Deuteronomy is... I was going to say Exodus, but maybe Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, well, is harder to study? I mean, Leviticus? No, I don't. It's not a... No. I don't think so at all because Leviticus, I love, you know, I love Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Those might be my two favorite books to teach. If I were to teach anything, get to teach whatever, yeah. I would love to teach Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Would, because you, they're, would you teach them to me? Yeah, okay. because they're linear, they're actually clear, they're completely articulate, they're very r- logical and reasonable. They're very, they're just, there's parts of them that are boring. That's why people don't want to <laughs> read them. But Isaiah's crazy. He's all over. The, he thinks like you, dude. So maybe you would love him because he's literally all over the maybe map. Maybe I need to do a study on eyes, maybe dude. You should. There's a great. I have a great book I can give you. It's called Reading Isaiah, <laughs> <laughs> which is a profound title. Did, anyway, is, is there an audiobook version of it? Uh, uh, okay. okay, Isaiah chapter sixty is where we are, verses one through six. And then we are in the responsorial Psalm seventy-two, one to two, seven to eight, ten to eleven, twelve to thirteen. Yeah, yeah. And that takes us to the second reading, which comes from the book of Ephesus. Uh, The book of (laughs) Ephesians. (laughs) Sorry. The book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, A, and then 5 to 6. Yeehaw. And then we come to Matthew, and it's a palindrome today. It's chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, 3, 1, 1, 2, yeah. The uh, Alleluia is a palindrome as well. Matthew 2, 2. <laughs> Today, Lanky Guys is brought to you by the word palindrome. It is. It is. It is. It is. Well, let's jump in, man. Um, t- t- talk to me about eyes, dude. Yeah. I'm starting to like him a little bit more. Why do you kind of like him now? What what changed in your heart? Well, he kind of thinks like me. I mean, and so... So just now. You just now changed. Yeah, yeah. I okay, just, good. I just kind of had that moment where good, I was good, like, good. you know, like, you know how it's, it, it's like... um. There was a Saturday Night Live skit many, many years ago, and um, and basically what it was is is a dog licking peanut butter off of its face, but for like a long time. It was like a long shot, and so like at, at first you're like, this what? is this is absurd. The Saturday Night Live. Yeah, at least that's what my dad tells me. This is this is this is all relayed from my dad which is their dad's stories and so it's just this dog and it's just licking peanut butter off of face off of its face and at first it's 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 like haha that's funny and then and then it kind of goes into a phase where you're like that's not funny anymore and you're like you're like and then, and then it kind of hits absurdity an absurdist place you're like are we really reading from isaiah again 
And then, and then, and then, then it becomes funny again. And then, and then there's a certain point in which you're like, "Dude, bring it on! I want nothing but Isaiah all day long." It's it's like um, there's like those YouTube videos that are like 20 hours long of just like a repeat of like one little like moment of a song. And and so I'm kind of feeling like that. So that's okay. like it's like good things in my heart. So basically, I'm just saying like Isaiah is like a dog with peanut butter on its face. Okay. I've got I've nothing to add to that. <laughs> the, the That's good. Yeah, the um, a liturgical peanut butter on its face. <laughs> liturgical peanut butter. So here's the thing about Isaiah. Uh, well, okay. So this okay. So this passage. So so how do I say this? Okay. So here's the thing. I think in the New Testament there are references to three epiphanies, right? It, that sounds like a, a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> the, three, <laughs> the three epiphanies. Is that three epiphanies? I just like um, it. The, the, I love the three epiphanies. Three margaritas, you're thinking of. Oh, yeah. Well, you know that in, in Mexico... A lot of people have epiphanies after drinking three margaritas. <laughs> they do. Um, but there's a... there's a uh, They don't consider that Santa Claus brings the gifts, but the three kings bring hmm. the gifts. Which so. is a pretty good tradition, because it is the three kings that really bring the first gifts of Christmas. Yeah. Well, no, they bring the second and third and fourth. <laughs> Because Jesus is the first, right? Uh, He's the gift. Huh? Okay, he so is. I so, didn't mean that to sound corny. He so, really is. Okay, so tell me about the three epiphanies. <clears throat> so epiphany, right, means a coming or an appearance of something, right? So the first epiphany is, is Jesus being born. So God appears, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. So Jesus shows up, epiphany number one. So really you can call the whole nativity story an epiphany in a certain sense, not just the coming of the three kings, but really the whole deal because Jesus appears. Yep. So that's epiphany number one. That's where we are. That's kind of what we're celebrating now. But if you read through the Gospels, there's there's another epiphany that's constantly being referenced. And Jesus is always talking about these parables about people coming or people appearing. Like uh, like the landowner is going to come back. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. he went away for a journey and yeah. he's going to come back and, and uh, you better not be asleep. You better yeah. have some oil. Yeah, or the, or the bridegroom is going to come back. He's going to appear, and the wedding guests will either be prepared or not prepared. And the servant is going to come, or the uh, the master comes home and finds the servants prepared or unprepared. So there's all these references. As Jesus is is traveling en route to Jerusalem, he's talking about servants. Uh, he's talking about masters coming, people coming home, yeah. bridegrooms. And most people read that in terms of, I mean, when you think about another coming of Jesus. So Jesus came when he was born. And we talk about Jesus coming again. He's going to come again at the end of time, right? He will, we call it the second coming. So there's two sort of epiphanies right there, right? Yes. So there's his coming at the at, at the incarnation. He's going to come again at his second coming in his parousia. But I think in a very real sense, there is a third coming that's kind of smack in the middle of those, which I don't want to say it's more important than those, but it, 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 it capitalizes on those. Okay. Um, when Jesus continually talks about a master coming back or a bridegroom coming home or people being unprepared, most people, I think, read those passages as reference to the second coming, that we need to be prepared when Jesus oh, comes yeah. again. We Absolutely. need to be ready. I don't think that's what he's saying, though. I don't think that's the reference really at all. What? I think there's an application there. What? But when Jesus <laughs> <laughs> but when Jesus says all this, he's literally en route to Jerusalem where he's going to technically speaking, come as king. So the coming of a king or the anointing of a king or the, the you know, when a king is, is crowned or anointed, it is in a certain sense the epiphany of that king. It's when the king appears to his people, when he is presented as the king. So the psalm, I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the Psalm 72 that we have today, yeah. it's, it's believed to have been written by Solomon, but it's believed to have actually been the prayer 
that David prayed over Solomon as, at his anointing as king. Oh. So his anointing ceremony, and we can, I, I moved away from it on my screen, but it says things like, Lord, uh, O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son, he shall govern your people with justice, your afflicted ones with judgment, justice shall flower in his days, profound peace, the moon will be no more, he will rule from sea to sea. So all about the king being crowned. And you, you kind of have to ask yourself, if you're just reading these passages, what on earth does this coronation hymn have to do with the coming of the wise men. Oh, dude, I am so excited to get to the gospel. Well, I know you are, but, but there's but another no, no, piece but, to but, it, though. Because, there's, because, of, because of what you're talking about here. My question here, just for a second, is is, is Tarshish and, and Sheba, <laughs> Sheba and Seba, are, are they the northern and southernmost points of the land? Do you know? Oh, dear. Um... I don't think so. Are we talking because like the Tarshish, you know, is is what we call Tarsus, where Paul was from. Yeah. Um, that the name actually changed at some point. Oh. Sheba, uh, Seba is, is Sheba, where the Queen of Sheba came from back oh. in the time of Solomon. Um, okay, so I, I was just wondering I, if this was a geographical. I mean, this is, th- th- there's something significant about the geography here in the psalm, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure either, to be honest with you. Because I I like this the the fact that it's a that it's a this coronation moment, this kingly Christ Christus, because I mean Christ means king. Yes. Now here's the question. Okay. Is Jesus crowned as king when the wise men come? Crown him with many crowns. Um, I do. I don't know. I mean, he's given lots of stuff. He's given gold and frankincense and myrrh, and that's good. But you wouldn't really call it a coronation. I mean, people come do come from these foreign nations, these faraway places. They do come to the king, right? Yeah. But it's not really his coronation moment. Well, I mean, he appears in a very real sense. I mean, I think of the uh, <coughs> uh, the uh, ascension as the coronation, but that's just my. That's I don't. Just, just, I mean, I also have the cross in my mind as his coronation because it's a manifestation of his glory. What because, does coronation mean, though? To become king. Uh, literally, though, you become king in a coronation. But, but to what put happened? a crown on? Yeah. When is a crown put on Jesus? At the Passion. At the crucifixion. When is he literally crowned? The only time in the Gospels, the only time in his earthly life that he receives a crown is when he... So, so think of this. Throughout those Gospels, to go back to what we were talking about a minute ago, throughout the Gospels, he's constantly talking about the king coming, the master returning, the bridegroom showing up, and people being unprepared. Yes, there is a reference to the end times when he comes again, we should be prepared. Yeah. But what he's talking about in context is that he's arriving, he's going to the city of kings, the royal city, where he's going to be crowned as king, and guess what? Nobody's going to be prepared. The servants are not going to be ready. No one's going to be watching. The wedding guests will be caught unaware as their king is actually crowned with a crown and elevated outside of the holy city high above for everyone who's gathered around to actually see. Mm-hmm. That's the moment of coronation. Now, with that in mind, and, and the coronation, the coming as king, is often literally called a coming. It's an appearance. He's coming as king. So look at what Isaiah says. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. Now, by the way, don't forget that this is being written, the, the crash course in Isaiah. Bad news first, good news second. Bad first half of the book is all about, you know, there's punishment. You've sinned. You've broken the covenant. You're going to receive, you know, punishment and exile and everything else. 
but then the second half, but God will restore your fortunes. He will set things right. So we're at, toward the end of the second part of the book, yeah. and it says, rise in splendor, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, who is suffering? Who is in exile? Who is, you know, enduring all these things? Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick clouds over the peoples. But upon you, the Lord shines and over you appears his glory. Nations shall walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes, look about you. They gather all about, they come to you. And your, sin, your sons come from afar and your daughters in the arms of their nurses, etc., etc. Now that there's a line in there. Th this is what struck me. And again, maybe I'm crazy with this. Rise and splendor Jerusalem, your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. To my knowledge, there's only three times in Scripture where the term darkness covered the earth appear. The first time is at creation. Remember, yeah, darkness, darkness was over the face of the deity. Here it shows up again in Isaiah. And then, and then at the crucifixion. At the crucifixion it said, darkness covered the face of the earth. Here is this really subtle, kind of weird prophecy way back in Isaiah that says the splendor and the glory of Jerusalem is coming. The Lord is shining upon them while darkness is covering the face of the earth and clouds are covering the peoples. When in the New Testament has darkness covered the face of the earth in a literal way? It's at the crucifixion. Could it be that this passage from Isaiah is subtly pointing not just toward this generic sense in which Jerusalem will receive her king and there'll be light and all people will flock there and all good things will happen, but in a very specific sense to this specific moment in time, that's three o'clock on this April day when darkness literally covers the earth, but that's the moment that their king is actually being crowned. He's coming, his epiphany, his second epiphany, literally, is being made manifest. And what's happening? People from all nations are actually gathered there. Now, the apostles have taken off. They've jumped ship. They've, they've run away, by and large. But the, we know that there were crowds from all over watching the crucifixion. They're gathered around. They're standing on the hill, literally watching all this raising their eyes and looking about. They gather all about you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. They're all there witnessing what they think is an execution, what they're actually witnessing under this cloud of darkness. A Nissan 14, yeah. What? A Nissan, a Nissan 14, 14 yeah. is the coronation of their king. Yeah. Which <coughs> which ties directly into what it we're going to talk about to the, in the gospel. Does that make sense, though? Absolutely. Because, it's so beautiful. Because you have to think, why, <clears throat> yeah, why Psalm 72? I mean, it's beautiful, and it's about, you know, he is the king, and, and the wise men are coming because they know he's the king, but it's not his coronation yet. I mean, you can make a case that his baptism is kind of a coronation. It's when God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's words that a father would speak at a coronation. Um, Whoops. Is that that's John the Baptist calling to correct my grammar? <laughs> 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 Anyway, that's my that's my thought on that first reading. Dude, no, that that's awesome. I I mean the the only other moment that I could make this is a little bit more of a stretch on this is um when uh, the power of the most high shall overshadow you at the annunciation, but it's but it's oh, not yeah. it's not as specific as as darkness covering the earth. It's but a different word. It's a different word and that's but but there's Epi spides on I think is the word. Oh. For overshadowing. And it, that's a you know that's a specific reference. The only other time that word appears yeah. is I believe in Exodus what is it thirty, when the glory of God overshadows the tabernacle, when God's presence comes into the into the tabernacle. Ah, uh, got Exodus it, got it. Which is so profound because that's what 
the glory of God is doing over Mary, who is, of course, the new tabernacle. But it's the only other time that word actually appears, which is really neat. And, and for us, I mean, we consider ourselves an Orthodox people. And yeah. Orthodox means right glory. So you're right. actually glorying yep. in what is proper what is right. and not, as, not in what is improper. Yeah. And so, I mean, did we cover the psalm kind of, even though it's in reverse order? It's in reverse order, but I, I think so. I think so, too. So hit me with a little bit of Ephesus here. Okay, so so take all this and then take it to the next step. So you're receiving Isaiah. You're living in the time of Isaiah. You're hearing these things. You have this veiled reference that you, you know, you'll only be able to see in hindsight about this king being crowned in this very specific way. And But nevertheless, that despite the fact that we're in darkness, despite the fact that we're, we're reaping the punishment from our sin and our unfaithfulness, there's darkness upon us. The world's a mess. But there is going to come a time when Jerusalem will rise up in splendor and it will be glorious again. And all the nations will flock to it, all these things. Um, you shall be raised. I'm, I'm looking over the, the first reading again. Ca- caravans of camels shall fill you, dromedaries of Midian. Here, here's what's so funny about it, though. The, and this is why, where the church is just really brilliant in this. You're reading Isaiah, Isaiah 6. You're reading this first reading about... You know, the riches of the sea will be emptied out before you, riches being brought to you, wealth of nations being brought, caravans of camels being filled, dromedaries from Midian and Ephon Sheba shall all come bearing gold and frankincense, proclaiming the praises of the Lord. You're like, oh, yeah, this is all happening. But you have to read it again and say, no, it's actually not. Because no. what is it saying no. specifically? Who is Isaiah 60 addressed to? Who does Isaiah 60 say is going to be brought camels and gold and frankincense and myrrh? To you, to to the Christ. No. Jerusalem? It says Jerusalem specifically. It's addressed to Jerusalem. I mean, look at the first line. Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem, your light. It's it's personification of the city. Oh, the translation I have it actually <coughs> doesn't say the uh, Jerusalem. It just says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glorious Lord has risen really? upon you. Yeah. How interesting. It doesn't It doesn't actually add that. Well, it is specifically addressed to Jerusalem. It's, it's addressed to the holy city. And... But you have to kind of think, I mean, you could be like, well, you know, we'll give the church some, li- you know, we'll give the scripture some liberty here. But you have to think, I mean, this didn't happen in Jerusalem. The wise men came to Jerusalem, found Herod, and then went somebody- somewhere else. Jesus, the Christ child, was not born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, which is far outside of Jerusalem. So, Like five miles. Well, yeah, it's not too far away, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? You can't just read this and be like, oh, well, this is odd. This, here. Here, there's caravans and camels and a reference to gold and frankincense. Perfect. We'll put that with the wise men reading. You know what I mean? You want to be like, oh, okay, here's an overlap, so we'll just smack those two together. But no, that's actually not precisely what's going on here. The first reading, although it does have references to gold and frankincense and camels and stuff, it's not specifically talking about the visit of the Magi. No. They happen to overlap a little bit, but the first reading is about something far different, something far greater, because the same king who the Magi are going to come to and who camels will visit and there'll be gold and frankincense and stuff. He is going to go to Jerusalem and he is going to fulfill then. Yes. Not the wise men. He is going to fulfill all the things Isaiah 60 said, (coughs) which really all center around not the gifts and not the treasures and not the wealth, but about the people who are gathered around. So that's what brings us to Ephesians. And Ephesians, um, this comes... Really smack in the middle of the book. The book is only six chapters long, and so chapter three is smack in the middle of them. And I think chapter three is the climax of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is really about the nature of the church. 
Yes. Um, it tells you more about the nature of what the church is than any other book in the New Testament. It, it describes that. It, it's like, uh, have you heard this? I, I've heard Ephesians described as a jeweler's setting. I thought you'd appreciate this. Ooh. It's like a jeweler's setting in which you can examine a piece of jewelry from all the different angles. So each chapter gives a different aspect of the church. One chapter talks about it as a household. Another talks about it as a bride. Another talks about it as a mystery and a family and a community and a group of warriors and stuff. So there's all these different aspects of the church that you can examine in the book. But chapter three focuses on the church as a mystery. And that's what I want to talk about just for a second. When I was growing up, I was very frustrated by my experience in the church because I was a very inquisitive kid and I had a lot of questions. And I felt like most of my questions were always answered with, it's a mystery. Ah. And like, why do we do this? And why does the church believe that? And why do my friends over at this church not do this? And I never, I, I mean, I, I'm probably, you know, looking back with, with tainted eyes, but I felt like the answer I'd always got was just this write off. It's a mystery. Yeah. Don't worry about it. God is love. It's a mystery. Mm. Shut your brain off for a little bit, which, which is not the church. And that's not the reality of how the church thinks, but that was my experience. Yeah, of course. So when I see things like Ephesians three, which talks about the church being a mystery, my temptation was to be like, that, just to shut my ears off. But that's not what it means. The church, when she talks about herself as a mystery or talks about the mysteries of the rosary or something like this, it's not the sense of what I thought it was that God is hiding things from us. God is keeping things. Oh, it's a mystery. Ooh, what's it going to be now? Yeah. It's not that it's the opposite. It's that God wants to reveal things. It's like reading a mystery novel where as you travel through, you're getting... Um, you're getting the answers to the mysteries on every page. Yeah. It's not that God wants to keep things from us. It's that God wants to reveal things. It's the mystery in that sense. And it's in chapter three of Ephesians that we are revealed what the mystery is. We actually get the answer. And so let me read this really quick. It says, brothers and sisters, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, 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 <laughs> grace that was given to me for your benefit. Namely that the mystery was made known to be my revelation. It was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Um, and it goes on a little bit talking about all the people. Paul kind of drags this out of all the people that have not been revealed this mystery <laughs> and how great it is that he has the secrets and the answers. But Which, which verse 4 is, when you read yeah. this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. If which, I do say so myself. Yeah, they, 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 the pulled, they pulled that one out. Because he sounds a little bit... But, 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 but I actually like it, though. Oh, I for, love it. For the, for, the, the for, the, for the fact that he's saying, no, I am having perceptions into the mystery. And you can understand it. Yeah. I, he's like, he, he's like I am the least. He's like, nah, I, I mean, he does really say mm, that. Yeah, <laughs> but but, but he, he recognizes that he's trying to promote the fact that you, too, can grasp. You, too, can know Italian. Yeah. <laughs> but what he says, though, is that this wasn't known to generations in the past. Now, first of all, he's speaking into this culture that is big on the idea of what we call Gnosticism, that there's secret knowledge and some people have secret knowledge and some people don't. And you follow the leaders that have, you know, the, the insights into all these things. And yeah. he's being like, yeah, we have secret knowledge too. We've got mysteries that have been revealed. And actually the generations in the past, they didn't know this because again, if we both used to really like the show Lost. And what I loved about Lost is that, you know, every episode or every season you'd get something else that was revealed that you wouldn't have understood this one particular thing if you hadn't known that episode two seasons prior 
that told you about that particular person. You're like, oh, that's how that thing was connected to that thing yeah, way yeah. back there. Yeah. That and and that's just fun. You're like, oh wow, I never would have imagined that that person actually was this. And that's how the scriptures are meant to work. Is that you only really understand? I mean, <clears throat> we're meant to read something like Isaiah 60 and see darkness covered the earth. Wow, I remember, or you know, to be reading the New Testament. And think, oh, darkness covered the earth. Wow, there was a reference to that way back in Isaiah. I wonder if that has something to do with this. It's this idea that God is writing this brilliant mystery novel, and he's slowly revealing the pieces of it on every page to us. Which is and, the best part of what we do. I mean, like, the, the, like that's, what, that's the whole project of what we're trying to do right. on this podcast is <clears throat> take those pieces right. to try to understand them and to draw out the, the profound meaning of them. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. that's why studying scripture is my favorite thing to do. It's, oh, totally. It, it's, it's like you watch Lost or some of these mystery, you read mystery novels and look for clues or Sherlock Holmes or something, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. No, this is available to us, yeah. if, and we have not plumbed the depth of the mystery. We have not caught all the details yet that's why we can keep doing this podcast in to infinity yes which we will you're stuck with us <laughs> but we get the punchline punchline is a weak word we get the the revelation in ephesians 3 which is the end of the bible the, the, one might even say the epiphany oh the church just wanted a book that started with e <laughs> to, to put in there but he gives you, so he says, this, this mystery wasn't known in the past. It wasn't known by their ancestors or by the patriarchs or by the leaders and rulers of this age, but it was made known to us, and we can know this. <coughs> so as he kind of drags you out on this, you're like, okay, so what's the mystery? And he says, well, that the Gentiles are now co-heirs, members of the same body, and co-partners in the promise of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Yeah. That was not known to, to, to Israel in, in times past. Maybe you can look back and with hindsight and see, oh, yeah, there was a role and there was a place for these outsiders and the people who were not part of the covenant. But what Paul is saying is what we didn't fully see that now we can look back and unpack is that from the very beginning, God intended his family, his nation, his kingdom yes. to be a universal worldwide Catholicos reality. It's not an ethnic um, clubhouse that we all hang out in. Right. It's not, you know. We're a part of the family. It's that he intended all nations. So when you read back in Isaiah and you see these nations who are walking by your light and caravans of camels coming from Midian and Ephah and Sheba bearing all of these things, that's God's intention. It's not a side note. Oh, isn't it neat that these other nations are coming to check it out too? No, that's been God's plan from the beginning. And they're not just spectators. When these wise men show up in the very beginning of the gospel from these foreign nations, they're not just coming to spectate and say, oh, we, we just wanted to check this out and see what's going on. God says, no, they, these wise men, they are co-heirs. And they have the capacity to be as much a part of the covenant family of Israel as Abraham himself did, as Moses did. Yes. That's the mystery. Because, quite frankly, that was a disputed opinion in Paul's time. That, yeah, I mean, they, they, were, they were having, this was the biggest debate in the church. How do you deal with the non-Jews? How do you deal with people that are outside of Israel? That, that's okay. Maybe they can be kind of second-class Christians, or they can be, you know, involved in the covenant or attached to it, but they're, they're not fully part of Israel. I mean, they're obviously not ethnic. They're not, <coughs> they're not really part of the family. They're kind of in-laws, right? Or, or, or you know, second-class something. But Paul is saying, no, the mystery that's been revealed is that God actually became incarnate. He became—he epiphanied himself. He appeared— 
He came as king. He died on a cross. He took on human flesh for all of humanity, not just for one ethnic bloodline or a couple ethnic bloodlines. He came for all of us. And that's not a let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya because we're all brothers and sisters kind of a thing. This is a very serious. I mean, this is the kind of thing that wars have been fought over for thousands of years. Ethnic lines, bloodlines, family relationships, covenant covenant realities. This is what causes world wars. And God is saying, no, I came to take on all of that human flesh so I could redeem all of that human flesh so that all of these nations and bloodlines and ethnicities have access to the same exact covenant family. Yes. It, it's like, you know, you know, both my kids were adopted. And it's the reality that Samuel and Lily are both as much Powell's as my brother's son who was born biologically to them. It's not, there's not a different reality. You're not, okay, yeah. well, you know, you people who are from Ethiopia, you're, you're, you're Israelites too, but you're kind of different Israel because you didn't come from the bloodline of Abraham. So you're, you're, you can be in the covenant family as well, but it's different. You Romans, yeah, you're, you can kind of be Christians too, but you're a different kind of Christian. no. Samuel and Lily are 100% fully Powell's. That's what the judge told us when we adopted them. You are 100% responsible. It is like they are your biological... The state considers them your biological children. That's how the state looks at this. This is how God looks at his covenant family. If we're baptized into God's covenant family, we are 100% totally, completely Abraham's sons and daughters. Yeah. Whether we have the bloodline or not, it doesn't matter. And and that's actually where we get into the gospel, which is uh, this whole reality of how much is God working to convince us of this reality of adoption? And uh, there's a there's a traditional understanding of uh, <coughs> that there's two books of Revelation, the, mm, bo- the book mm. of nature and the book of Scripture. Absolutely. And 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 uh, one interprets the other. And one interprets the other. You, they 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 must be together yes. because you you cannot come to the things that we understand without a specific divine revelation. Yeah. But with that revelation, we are actually we've we've been given the keys to unlock everything. Yes. Uh, and 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 that's where we've attempted to penetrate the mystery. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is the reality that has been going on since the revelation of Christ. Is how do we penetrate the mystery to understand what has really happened? All of these pieces that have come before to say, okay, what, well, what does it mean to have this darkness over the earth? So you get you so you start to say, okay, well, what is a darkness? And you could say, okay, well, when is it? When did when did these dates match up? And we start to go into these details because we're looking into the mystery. Yeah. And and this moment from Matthew chapter two has such a such direct clues. I mean, the, the <clears throat> you can look at this stuff. Um, a lot of what I'm talking about comes from BethlehemStar.net, mm. and um. You Which, can also just go do a Google search for the Star of Bethlehem. I think it'll pop up, right? Yeah, it's it stars. It, it comes up, you know, very very high because it's a, it's a it's a good site, and it'll go through the study that uh, that I'm talking about right now in in a much clearer way. But basically, it's taking the um, the the whole understanding of of like Johannes Kepler, who was trying to understand what is the star of Bethlehem. Mm. Like, how can we actually grasp what's going on? Mm. And what's cool is we were talking about a coronation. A coronation is this huge reality 
A lot of people in the Mideast, they would sleep on the roofs because it's hot. So you're in the middle of the summer. And now if you're if you're studying the stars, which a lot of people are making star charts, Hmm. they're tracking things. And then there were kind of crazy stars in the field and they would do erratic behaviors that were unlike others. Right. And and so so that's how you would say, okay, well, here's this one. And one of the brightest ones is Jupiter. Jupiter is this crazy star. And um. Uh, and it's it's uh, they would consider it the king one king star because it's one it's of so the, big it's so bright right and um and so what ends up happening is that the the three wise men that we're talking about probably descended from from Daniel because in Babylon that he he stayed and he was one of the s- smartest people did Daniel stay Daniel stayed I, tons of people did stay yeah yeah so so he he had probably did you know that up until the forties. Baghdad had the highest population of Jewish people in the world? I did not know that. Because Babylon, of course, was present-day Iraq. Yeah, yeah. And when the Persians took over the empire, they were so benevolent, really, to the people. A lot of people didn't go back to Jerusalem. They just stayed put. And so there was a huge population, which means that people from that part of the world would have had plenty of access to books like Daniel and to the Old Testament and to the prophetic books and all these other things. Yeah, so so they're looking, they're paying attention, mm. and they're seeing the brightest star start to come into conjunction with what, what they a, a, a star that is we call Regulus. Yes. Um, the Romans called it Rex. Uh, the the the, the um, Rex. The um, the, I think that what was an, there's another name for it, and I can't remember what it is. I'd have to look on the website. Mm. Um, the 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 Babylonians would call it, but it, all okay. of the words meant king. Okay. The, so it was just kind of this. It was the king, this king star. You have this king crazy planet, which means wandering star. Okay. So um, so this wandering star that has a conjunction, and uh, in three B.C. Okay. And uh, what ends up happening is that they make note of it. You're always looking for conjunctions. But it turns around, and it actually crowns. It goes into retrograde motion, and then for th- for the next nine months, it crowned the king star, crowns the king planet, three times. That's crazy. So they're they're saying where because because we're looking in the gospel, and it says um, we have uh, uh, saying who he, is he who has been born king of the Jews. Hmm. We have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. So from from Babylon, you would see Jupiter rise in the east and then do a triple crown over nine months, which is an obvious reality. It's crazy. Um, uh, the king star. So so we have this coronation going on, and they're going. Herod heard this, and he was like, and everybody in Jerusalem, because <clears throat> they're going like, oh my gosh, hold on, we didn't even recognize this, but then they're looking. But that, isn't that incredible, though? I mean. The, the the whole reality Ephesians is talking about that the, I mean these foreigners these outsiders these people from over there are the only ones to recognize that the king of Israel has been born why because and you know this is what's so beautiful and it's so beautiful about what we're doing and and we're trying to use this kind of media to make this accessible because Knowledge of the scriptures and understanding of the scriptures and, and insight into these things is not supposed to be for the learned and the PhDs and just the priests or those people sitting. You know, it should be for all people attending mass. They should be able to access the meaning and the depths of these scriptures. Absolutely. <clears throat> but God didn't just infuse some magical knowledge into these three wise men and they just kind of show up. Right. They were reading the scriptures. They were studying. They were going over... But this is the thing, and it's like you said at the beginning. They were not just studying the scriptures, they were studying creation. 
They were studying creation against the backdrop of the scriptures. They were studying the scriptures against the backdrop of creation. And they were able to put all the pieces together yes. and become the only people virtually on the face of the earth who recognized that the king of another nation had been born. That's so amazing. It's incredible. That's how God works, though, because he works through the knowledge that we've that we have. He works through what we what. Uh, it, 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 it's it's like the shepherds who were keeping yeah. the night watch over the flocks. Yeah, they were. Their whole job <clears throat> was to watch the flocks that were going to be sacrificed in the temple of Jerusalem. Yeah, and they were the ones who were able to recognize the Lamb of God. Yeah. Because they themselves are already disposed, so their natural yeah. knowledge in, and right. so then they, and God then, uses that. Yeah, and so then yeah. they become this moment of, of recognition of what the true Lamb of God is. Those yes. who actually recognize the Lamb. Yeah. So so yeah. Yeah. It, it's those that's those conjunctions that you're like going, oh my goodness. So so they're freaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, I, what I love is is that all of the nations are called in. I mean, this this is some dude. In the last few five ten years, yeah, who is using software using Kepler's laws? Yeah. Kepler never found the Star of Bethlehem. He wrote he was running star charts, but they were so difficult to make, oh. and the information didn't lead him properly. So he couldn't look forward and backward it over, you know, because one star chart wow. is for a certain period of time. Right, right, right. right. And everything moves slow in months, but you can't do year after year oh. after year. So he's looking and he misses it. Whereas this dude with some software on his Mac, on his back porch, <laughs> reading the scriptures, taking it seriously, discovers this stuff and starts to bring it forward and enters into this crazy dialogue and, and, and helps us to enter into this mystery. And he's not even a, <coughs> he's not a Catholic either. No, I mean, so lest we think that, well, it's just the Catholic knowledge that, I mean, we need to, yeah, yeah. We need to learn from all of this and the church. It needs to figure this out because it's there and God gives us the tools. He gives us the knowledge if we have only to seek it out. Absolutely. And and that's where so we're we're um we're in this moment where so he's looking <clears throat> and this this whole thing is happening. Um yeah. so the the three wise men, they start to make the journey when they're realizing that the 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 triple conjunction is happening. They're seeing it the third time. And by the way, Regulus sits in the constellation Leo. Oh. Lion of the tribe of Judah, Yahtzee, in the staff that would sit between his legs. What? So between, so it says the staff shall never depart between the oh, legs. Oh, yeah, Judah. back in back in Genesis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the lion, the way it's <clears throat> seated, Regulus is actually seated. Seated. Uh, the the wow. Regulus is in the staff between the legs of the lion of Judah. Wow. Now, what's really interesting is if you look at Revelation, oh. then th this is going to actually ha be happening on Yom Kippur in 3 BC. BC the, really? The yeah. So it's the new year on Yom Kippur because it's a new moon. Whoa. But, and, and meanwhile, Virgo is rising with the moon at her feet because the new moon sits in a little crescent moon to, to designate wow. uh, this, uh, to designate the, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the new year, Yom Kippur, because okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a lunar, it's a lunar calendar. Yes. Now, but it happens during the day. You can only see it with software. Literally, you could not have seen it with the naked eye. And that, that the Virgo actually is in conjunction with the sun. So you, so the Virgin is crowned with the sun with the moon at her feet, oh, the 12 stars in the sky. Regulus is, at, is beginning to crown. I mean, um, Jupiter's beginning to crown. So they end up following it after the third conjunction, and they end up in Jerusalem. They, then wow. the, we're here at Matthew. The next thing you know that the, the, they're going and they say they see the star, they want to they go. And 
what happens, the way the, the, the path of Jupiter, when you're in Jerusalem, would have actually gone over Bethlehem and gone and begun retrograde motion so that it looks like it stops in the sky right above where they are. And the time that it would have gone into retrograde motion was December 25th, 2 BC. That's crazy. I know. That's nuts. Yes. So he probably, so Jesus probably would have been born according to this whole star reality. He would have been born in June. Okay. So, because you start in September and then you, he would have been born in June, but they would have still been in Bethlehem kind of recovering because it's, you know, staying wherever they are staying. Sure. And, and then ends up, um, ends up uh, uh, being able to, um, to, to offer these gifts. Um, wow. Um, wow, that's crazy. Um, and so th- the, um, uh, so it ends up being this whole amazing reality. Now, what happens wow. is that if you fast forward and you take that okay. and you look to uh, the crucifixion, the second epiphany that you're talking about, okay. yeah. then you, you end up uh, in this uh, moment where w- there's an eclipse 33 years oh, right. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 33 years later, there's an eclipse that takes place right at three o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th of Nissan on a Friday, yeah. exactly 33 years later. Whoa. That the, and, and that, Holy snot. And that if you look at that eclipse, the sun is, uh, from the perspective of the moon, the sun is darkened wow. because the moon gets in the way of the sun. Yeah, right. And, it's, and it sits right at the heart of the constellation of the ram. Ram and lamb were interchangeable linguistically. Um, right, right. Sure. And so it, right at the heart of the lamb, the heart of the lamb is darkened at the moment of three o'clock on 14th of Nisan in 33 AD, Woo. which is, I think it's April 7th uh, yeah, in the date. Like so, so, <clears throat> so this is the thing is that the, the heavens, nature is actually being revealed in the midst of it. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. This is why, sorry. I, not, I'm just, this is why I love, you know, I've given a bunch of talks on the idea of Catholic environmentalism and why, and why, why yes. it actually matters yes. how we interact. And, and this is where, we Catholics, I think, have a unique insight into this because our our Catholic faith is so material. There's there's so much matter that goes into it. I mean, there's yes. there's bread, there's wine, there's water, there's oils, there's smells. Our our liturgy, we sit, we stand, we kneel, there's motion. Matter matters, right? Matter for us. matters. And so and it matters for God. I mean, this is the Catholic understanding that God chooses to become bread. He chooses to act through water and through oils and through stuff, not just simply sitting in a pew and singing some songs and hearing a message. But we are meant to interact. We are meant to touch and to get our hands wet and dirty and oily and, you know, everything else. And so it, it makes sense that the stars would speak to this. It makes sense that when the God who becomes incarnate is crucified, the earth itself should shake out of its place, should have an earthquake yes. and, and an eclipse because the created, God loves his creation. And this is why we Catholics, almost alone, continually talk about the new heavens and the new earth to come. In our glory be, we say we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. There is a world, there's a physicality matter is real matter matters to god and it matters that he took on human flesh and the whole of creation sings to that and it speaks to that and so why wouldn't 
the stars be speaking to the same reality. Why? Because what God wants to make, what does God want more than anything else? He wants to be known. Yeah. I think that's the one thing the scriptures make clear. God wants to be known. Who does he want to be known by? He wants to be known everybody. by us. Everybody. Well, that's the he whole thing. By everybody. <clears throat> and that's what you were just talking about yeah. before is like, th- this is like happening for everyone. Yeah. And, and, and so the, he is king of everything. That's why. That's yeah. why when I was like talking about the the uh, the ascension back into heaven, yeah. there oh, is yeah, the, yeah. there is this coronation. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But, but there's a coronation going on, and he actually wants to crown creation. Like yeah. they, they talk. One of the philosophical thing we talk about is that humanity is the crown of creation, and women are the crown. Uh, and yeah. and theologically, women are created last. They yeah. are the the. This the uh, the jewel in this Absolutely. in this jeweler's mounting. Absolutely, that is uh, that is all of the creation that, that surrounds us. So, Absolutely. y'all uh, enter into the starry dance. This is everything in creation is meant to win your heart to help you to understand that you are adopted, that you are loved, and these epiphanies are our epiphanies, yeah. and the mystery is still yet to be plunged. You have as much say as anybody in history to yeah. be able to contemplate these divine mysteries. It's phenomenal, and Absolutely. that's that's why I love doing this podcast we get to share this stuff with y'all absolutely and we're grateful that you guys listen (coughs) whoa easy there killer excuse me but we're grateful you're here we're grateful you listen um otherwise we'd just be talking to ourselves um i'm going to be going to seek so we'll see you at seek actually you're already back from seek by now oh no you're not no no, 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 i'm in the middle of seek so yeah whatever so So seek us out yes seek me out uh let me know you're a lanky guys listener i'm gonna be doing some um some emceeing for the alumni track Uh, you can look for me i'll be dressed as a priest probably i was thinking about wearing a bretta oh yeah yeah i agree there'll be enough bishops there yeah i was just gonna wear a bretta knock your block off whatever well god bless you all keep the epiphany on the epiphany side absolutely and we'll see you next week okay bye-bye bye The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.